Okay, so, so let's stop. Five, four, three, two, one. to another episode of the Parenting Unknown Podcast. My name is Matt. Thanks again for listening for another week. Hopefully everything is going well. And if you haven't guessed already, this episode is a music one. And what I wanted to do is talk about different artists, songs, albums that have pretty much influenced in my life because let's face it, music is a big part of our lives. And for me, it's, it hits on a very personal connection. Um, there's been places in my life that I've been down not feeling so good, feeling really depressed. And one of the main factors to help me get out was music. And a lot of, a lot of people, music is just, it happens. Meaning you listen to it, you don't really care what's out. So long as it sounds good, so long as it sounds catchy, that's your thing, right? And for others, it's, it's much more than that. It's something that speaks to them on a deep level. It's something that sounds that it was just made for them. And it's something that we could kind of gravitate to and feel, understand what the artist felt, how it is so similar to our very own lives. And but the intro we just heard right now is probably one of the most famous intros that you could ever hear in somewhat modern music. And that's The Cure, Boys Don't Cry. And just a little backstory on this, it was recorded in 1979 and released on June 15th, 1979 on an actual EP entitled Boys Don't Cry. But later it was, an, it was added to the album Three Imaginary Boys, which is the UK version of the album and the American version was entitled Boys Don't Cry. And if you don't know anything about UK versus US releases, typically they released earlier stuff or they release their stuff first in the UK and they have the original titles to it. And once it gets crossed over and it gets accepted into the US, you know, mainstream, names get changed. Um, it's a little bit confusing sometimes, but it's just the way things went. Especially when you look into history like of the Beatles and the Stones, their first albums in the UK were completely different to what was released here in the US. And eventually, whatever goes in the US, they just kind of like leave it. And Matter of the Cure, first album was, you know, Three Imaginary Boys. But on this first EP, or this first single, it was released Boys Don't Cry, Jumping Someone Else's Train, and a 1978 recording of Killing an Arab. And if you haven't heard that song, it's very, very good. It's kind of rare to hear it now. Obviously, you can hear it on YouTube, but like, it was available like on Apple and Spotify for the longest. And then, I guess, streaming rights or disputes get taken away start coming up and the song gets taken off still label on there you can still see it on the album but it's just not there <laughs> but this song is very very simple it's about a story of a man who has given up trying to regain the love that he's lost and he just tries to disguise what he actually feels because when we go through heartache when we go through breakups when we go through 
you know, a loss, especially for guys that you're told to suck it up because you got to be tough. You start crying, you got to suck it up and say, you know what, boys don't cry. And it just, it's true. We live in a world that for the men, they can't show emotion. They can't truly show what they're feeling. I mean, I got no shame in it. If I cry, I cry. If I see a good movie that makes you cry, I cry. The son does something exciting to my daughter, I'll cry or throw a tear. It's human emotion. Like, I mean, you can't escape it. Why even try to hide it? But it's that that notion of what it is to be a man, that whole uh, toughness that you got to bring upon yourself. And it's something that I don't want to instill in my kids because, let's face it, they're kids and they're going to cry for damn near everything. They, they just are. You tell them no, you tell them yes. You make them feel embarrassed for whatever reason. They get hit. They fall. They fight each other. They, they do whatever. Chances are they're going to cry for something. And like my son right now, he's starting to cry for any little thing. And I guess it's just part of his... I guess you could say terrible too, because he was too. He really didn't have that, that expectedness of you know being a terrible toddler. He was kind of chill, but now sometimes he plays a game, he loses, takes it to the heart, he cries, he watches a movie, and if one of the characters doesn't succeed for something, he cries, and it's understandable. He's a kid; he doesn't know. But that's what our job as adults to, and and as parents is to coach him through it. Let him know it's okay to cry, but. Here's a reason why you shouldn't. Part of life, we get on, we move things, and for the most part, they get it. But they're not going to get it overnight. They're not going to get it after one teaching. You got to really, really, really go over with them over and over and over again until it's a broken record. And eventually, they come to. Whole scenes with the movies that my boy used to cry to, doesn't cry no more. He says because you know it's just a movie. Everything comes out fine in the end. I mean, he doesn't say that. That's what we told him. So he. It's in his mind now that, you know, it's okay not to cry. It may seem sad in situation, but I just got to keep watching and figure out and find out what happens. It's just those little lessons we got, we as parents, we as fathers, we as mothers, we got to be patient and really hold our kids into navigating emotions. So the last thing I want to do is tell them, you know, suck it up, don't cry. I mean, there's a certain place to cry and it all depends on for what reason and whether you should cry or not. But obviously, breakups, heartaches, if you ever haven't been through them, they suck. And you do cry. And whether your friends see you crying or not, or if you cry in front of them, you let it out. You get met with either one or two things. For a guy, it's, well, I'm only speaking for the guy's part because obviously I'm not a woman, so I don't know how it feels to get my heart dumped by a guy. So obviously from a guy, you get one or two things. You either get a friend who's tells you it's all right, don't worry about it, you'll find another girl. Or you get another friend that says, you know, F that B and let's go. And usually if you do a tear or two, depending on what friends you have, you really don't get any scrutiny over it. It's just everyone understands, everyone gets it. But as our, our society collective, we can't, we can't cry. We can't show the emotion. We can't. So this song, it not only, not only did it align with my life and some of the things that I was kind of taught. I was kind of wanting to go against, but just a damn good song to listen to. And that's what got me at first. It was that guitar intro. It was that bass intro. And it met with these, the fast paced, 
I don't want to say fast paced, but it met with these upbeat drum patterns. And <laughs> what it's talking about, it could be one of those totally depressive emo songs, which. And if you know anything about The Cure, they're one of the staples of goth music in the late 70s, early 80s. And it's kind of wild to think that a band that you think is solely in the 80s had stuff coming out in the late 70s. As far as, you know, The Cure, Misfits, you got Blondie, Ramones. So we think of the best years coming out in the 80s. They, these guys got their start in the late 70s. Crazy to think of. I don't know about for you, but for me, it definitely is. But The Cure, they're... Their genres are, you know, the start of goth. Then you got new wave and heavily post-punk. And the reason why music like this was called post-punk, because mid to late 70s, there was a huge new movement called punk. And early bands, you had like the Stooges. You've had, you know, Blondie making his way, the Ramones, the Clash. Actually, Clash after the Ramones. Uh, you had bands like Television, Dead Boys, pretty much all that. CBGB stuff that started in the mid to late 70s. This was the ideas after that. This was the branch that split off from punk. And post-punk, you had some of the traditional elements and style of music, whether it's the melodies, whether it's the the tempos, some similar. What they spoke about, how they sang, it departed from that. And it's actually one of my favorite genres that I listen to right now. So there's a lot of cure. Then you got bands like Joy Division. Obviously, you got New Order, which is the same band, kind of pretty much. And tons of other bands. Even now, uh, one of my favorite bands named Thrice, they're looked at as a, a kind of post-punk group. So there's two different mixes to the song. There's the original mix, which I played from the beginning. And there's another new recorded mix that was released in 86. Uh, that mix was a little bit, I guess, not to my liking. And when they play this song live, it kills me, but I don't like when they play it live now because I like the fast, upbeat pace in the original recording. And when they play now, it's it's much more slowed down. I mean, the vocals are kind of kind of the same, but the tempo's just down a lot. And it just kills me because that's one of my favorite songs. And when you hear an artist like this, you really want to listen to the song that kind of, it's the same way, but people get older style they played they really don't want to do it no more they change something else whatever just don't want to just don't see him <laughs> so what draws you in with the song is that the lyrics are pretty simple they tell a story that you could relate to more than once in life but the way they're sung you could feel the pain the anger and sadness but at the same time you could feel the optimism and you could feel what he's telling himself that you know boys don't cry it's hopes into it, things get better. You know, we're taught as as men to hide our emotions and move forward. Now, this is a prime example of what it means to do that.
what I really liked about this song is that when I first heard it, music to me was very one-sided. So if I listened to anything that was traditionally metal, it had to have had that, that metal voice, that pure aggression, that energy that just matched the, the guitar riffs, the drum patterns. When I listen to punk, it also had to have that anti-establishment sound in the vocals, that screaming, that loudness. When I listen to, let's say, like Sabbath, their vocals just matched what they were playing. And now when I heard this song, it took me a bit surprised. I, I was listening to two different ways to have a song. You have your slow breakup song, and then you had your mixed song that you could dance to. Something that was upbeat, had a good tempo, had a good, you know, catchy riff. And it was just odd to me. Up until this point, I really didn't know or know if you were allowed to do that. And keep in mind, I heard this song when I, I think my first real intro to music was like in 95, 96. So I had to have been like about a year or two later. I think I was probably like 10, maybe a little younger than that. So when I heard this song, I really didn't know what was going on, but I do know, I did know what I was hearing I liked. I liked that even though he sounds sad, he's singing it in a very sad, somber way. There's still hope, there's still happiness behind it. And as a kid, it kind of just blew my mind because I was used to all the Metallicas. I was used to Slayer. Um, then I had Eminem, then Wu-Tang, Biggie, Tupac. These were like the first intros to my music, along with, you know, most of the stuff that was shown with my grandma, but all this other type of music was more or less my own discoveries. And I'm pretty sure everybody can remember where they first heard the first song that opened up their eyes or the first albums where, you know, you really connected to and said, you know, this is my life. And for the cure, it was one of those, well, this is another part of life. Yeah, it sounds sad, but doesn't. I could connect to this. And yeah, you could say emo or whatever like that, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure some of you will, but you know what? It's damn good music. I love, I love them. And they're a group, they're artists that you could put on and just listen to and get lost in it. And when you look at the band, you see Robert Smith, the head singer, songwriter, dark eyeshadow, big wild hair. And he has this feeling like he does, says what he wants. If he wants to feel sad and write it down on a song, guess what? Just a big reflection on life and what he's feeling. And if you feel it too good, and if not, you just sit there and enjoy it. He has that presence that that command that it draws it. So this song is one of my all-time favorites. There's no doubt about it. If I ever, if you ever thought of a playlist to kind of describe your life or to have a part of your life, this would be one of mine. And I think I've talked to this with my wife before, you know, when you get in conversations, whether it's your, your significant other or friends, like, you obviously have your bucket list. You have your top five. You have your top 10. What would you do if you were on an island? And I think at one point, me and my wife got into uh, a playlist of our lives. And if not, I thought of this in my head very, very so often. And throughout, throughout the years, mentally, it gets edited. Like, I'll take out a Manson song and put a song with, you know, Blondie. Or I'll take a Stooges song out and I put a Black Flag in there. It's just different mixture of genres. It just all depends when I get older. And listening to The Cure from when I was a kid to now, it's just one of those bands where I haven't grown out of. What I have grown is much more deeper 
connected it to the music, which now at 32 years old, I'm just finding out that some of the artists you just grow out of. And it sucks because you get a certain band that you used to love growing up. You used to listen to almost every single day to find out that now that you get older, you just have no connection to that no more. You know, it sucks because deep down inside, you still love the album, but as far as where your life is right now, where it's going, where it's gone, that connection that you used to have, that really bland emotional connection, it starts fading away. And there's tons of artists that I used to have listened to that my connection to that has just faded away. Do I still listen to them? Of course. Well, I mean, not as much, maybe less, less and less throughout the years. Like, for instance, Manson. I used to listen to tons of Marilyn Manson, but now that I've gotten older, I listen to less. And it has no way to do with his allegations of sexual assault, which is fucking weird. But it's just music that you just grow out of. Sucks to say, but you just do. I used to listen to a lot of Slayer. I hardly listen to it any time now. It's just music that I've grown out of. And fortunately for me, The Cure is one of those artists that Throughout the years, I've grown more infatuated with them. I have a deeper connection with the music. And I mean, I'm not ashamed to say, because I could hear my wife in the background saying, you know, emo kid or something stupid, but it's the truth. I'm talking to music. I'm talking about music for a certain reason. And music's just a big part of my life. And as you get older, your preferences change. And some of the artists you heard early in time, you don't understand really what they are about what they say, what they mean, but you still like them. But once you get older, you go through life to a certain point, you experience certain things, you go back to a certain song and it draws you. And this is why I listen to Boys Don't Cry all the time. Well, I want to listen to all the time. I wouldn't say all the time, but it's one of my favorites and it's constantly on one of those lists. It means a lot personally to me because in terms of Dealing with emotions, the outcomes of it, uh, heartaches. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it is funny though, that even though I have been through like a couple, like, you know, when you break up with girlfriends and you get sad and all that, I never listened to the cure to kind of soothe that pain or that heartache. It just, I didn't feel like those worlds should collide, even though you could Look at them, draw to conclusion and say like, yeah, no, you're wrong. This is exactly what this music is for. But I never put those two worlds together. I always felt that what I listened to from Cure Music was different from my life. And at the same time, those emotions that I'm saying that I should have, you know, broadcasted out, I sucked them in. And just something you did. Can't fault anybody for that. <laughs> but as far as this song... Definitely check it out. You've, I'm pretty sure you've heard it before. And if not, check it out. It just type in The Cure, Boys Don't Cry. So without any more procrastination, here's the rest of Boys Don't Cry from The Cure. So thanks again for listening for another week, another music episode, and until the next one.
Boss.